0: Do not be anxious. These are Jesus's oh-so-helpful words for us this morning. <laughs> Do not be anxious. Uh, when I read those words, I wonder if Jesus really knows who he's talking to these days. <laughs> because we live in an anxious world, we are anxious people, and, and I am an anxious person at times. I, I'll, be, I'll be ready to admit it. And, and Jesus telling me not to be anxious... Doesn't make me any less anxious. That's like when my wife and I are in a fight, uh, uh, or what we call a passionate discussion. That's like me saying to her, you shouldn't be angry about this. (laughs) It doesn't help. It definitely makes her angrier. (laughs) And then in the reading we just heard, think of the things that Jesus mentions. He says, he says, don't be worried about your food, your clothes, uh, or about your life in general. Has, Has Jesus never been on Instagram? Like our food and our clothing are like the only things that we take pictures of these days because we're obsessed with these things. I I ate breakfast like an hour and a half ago, and I'm already obsessing over what I'm going to have for lunch. And now that I've told you that I'm already thinking about lunch, I'm a little self-conscious about my eating habits, so I'm feeling like I need to go for a run this afternoon. (laughs) We are anxious people. It's part of the human experience. I'm not alone. We are all riddled with anxiety at different moments. We have this instinct inside of us where we want to take little things and and make them big things, and so we obsess about them and turn ourselves around and wind ourselves up on all of these things. And if we're being honest, Jesus telling us, don't be anxious, doesn't actually solve anything. When I hear the words from Jesus, don't be anxious... My palms start to sweat a little bit. My heart rate increases just a little. And I start to wonder, what's for lunch? And I don't think I'm alone. Now, the good news is that Jesus doesn't leave us in this place. He doesn't just stop with the imperative. Don't be anxious. He's got more in mind for us than to remind us of our anxiety. His statement, don't be anxious, is what people of our theological tradition would call the law. It's not meant to solve the problem. Statements like that are meant to reveal and remind us of our problem. When Jesus says, don't be anxious, he's saying it so that we would be mindful of the fact that our lives are riddled with anxiety. But again, he doesn't leave us there. He he gives us more. Jesus goes on to talk not just about us and our anxiety in the reading we just heard, but he talks about somebody else in that reading. Perhaps you noticed it. Sure, he mentions us and the things we worry about. But but he mentions four times another person in that reading. Did you catch who it was? He talks about God. That's right. He talks about God. Let's let's just get a refresher from a different version. This is from the English Standard Version. This is a refresher of, of what we just heard. Jesus says, "'Consider the ravens. God feeds them. Consider the lilies. If God so clothes the grass, how much more will he clothe you, O little faith?' Your father knows that you need them. And then he goes on to mention that word father another time. So here's what's interesting about this reading from Jesus. Twice he talks about God in an impersonal way. When he's referencing the flowers and the birds, he simply says God in kind of this generic and impersonal way. There is a God who cares for the birds. That same God cares for the flowers, But then when he turns his attention to you and me and our anxieties, he changes the language. He's talking about the same person, but he changes the language. Rather than talk in an impersonal way about God, all of a sudden when he talks about you and me and our anxieties, he uses a different word. What word does he use? Father. That's right. So there is a God over the birds, a God over the flowers of the field. That same God is your father. And this is a very simple but a profound point that Jesus is making for anxious disciples. The God over all things is your father. Let me say that again because if you grew up in the church you can take that phrase for granted. The God over all things Who cares for even the birds and the grass that is here today and gone tomorrow? That God is not just a God to you, nameless and faceless and distant. This God over us all is your Father. Now, Jesus makes that point for his anxious disciples for two reasons. When Jesus reminds us that God is our Father, he is pointing to the source of our anxieties and also the solution for so many of our anxieties. The source of our anxiety, at least according to Jesus' teaching here, is that we tend to live as if we are orphans. We tend to live, spiritually speaking, as if there is no good father above us. And it's kind of how our hearts are conditioned from the moment we're born. We live and we act as if we are on our own. Sure, we have family and friends around us, but there's this sense that our well-being and our, our success and our wholeness and our peace is sitting squarely on our own shoulders. It's all up to us. If we're going to be okay, we have to make it okay. And in the world we live in, that's the message we get relentlessly. I think the world around us is very well-intentioned, but it's not helping our anxiety problem. The world around us is intent these days on telling you that you can have the best life possible. You can reach your fullest and highest potential. You can achieve all of your dreams. All you got to do is try, but you must try. And notice it keeps the pressure where? Not here. Right here. It amps up the anxiety. And friends, here's something you've probably learned from your own experience. If peace is going to be a byproduct of your own hard work, you will never really have any peace. If peace is a byproduct of of how hard you work and how well you do, you will never really have any peace because there's always more work to do, isn't there? There's always another sales goal to hit. There's always a new exercise to try out. There's always a new fad to adopt. And so if peace is the byproduct of your hard work, well, the hard work never really ends, and peace is always just outside of your grasp. We tend to live as orphans. As if it's all up to us. I remember um, the summer of 1989. 1989 going back-to-school shopping with my mom and my, my two brothers. We were back-to-school shopping at the Kmart on Corona Road in Flint, Michigan. We did our back-to-school shopping at the start of the summer because my mom wanted to, to put all of our clothes for the fall on layaway so she could pay on them over the course of the summer and hopefully have it all paid off by the end of the summer. And I remember being anxious even about that, as if my clothing depended on me at nine years old. Wondering if, if the, the, the knockoff polo shirt and the tough skin jeans that my mom had picked out at the beginning of June would still be cool in the eyes of my friends when September rolled around? Or if, if the British night shoes that I really, really wanted would survive the inevitable purging that my mom would do over the summer as she realized it was going to get harder and harder to pay off all that layaway so she would pull items out. Would my item that I wanted still be there when September rolled around? Those are the things I would get worried about. I may have been influenced by a book I was reading at the time. It was a popular series of books. It was called The Boxcar Children. Anyone ever read those books when you were growing up? If you're not familiar with this famous series of books, it's about this group of of siblings who are all alone in the world. There's no parents around, no adults, no CPS taking care of them, no Child Protective Services. It was just them living the hobo life at 10 years old in a (laughs) boxcar. There's this tendency inside of us, inside of you, inside of me, to believe that we are boxcar children, so to speak. To live as orphans, that's the source of so much of our anxiety. Certainly there are other factors, but there's something inside of our hearts that says it's all on us, we are all alone, everything that I need to survive is ultimately on my two shoulders, and we simply can't bear that weight. The source of so much of our anxiety is that we live as orphans. And so in comes Jesus and he says, Hey, remember, remember, you don't just have a God. That God is your Father. He's your Father. But again, Jesus goes even further. Not only does he tell us anxious people who tend to live as orphans as if we're all alone... Not only does he tell us that we have a father, but if you, if you, if you read closely uh, in the teaching that we have for this morning, Jesus tells us the kind of father that we have. He tells us that we have a good father. Actually, it's, it's better than good. He tells us that we have a crazy good father. For those of you who, who know the gospel of Luke from where the reading comes this morning, uh, this teaching comes from Luke chapter 12. But in Luke chapter 15, Jesus gives a series of teachings that talk about the nature and the character of God. And in Luke chapter 15, is one of the most famous, if not the most famous parable that Jesus told, the parable of the prodigal son. And we tend to think that the star of the story, so to speak, is the wayward son who comes back home. But the real star of that story is the father. The real prodigal, which means excessive, the real prodigal in the story of the prodigal son is the prodigal dad, who is excessive and over-the-top, rare and unique in the love that he shows to the son, almost to an offensive degree that he would love this wayward son so much. This is the picture of God the Father that Jesus has in mind, even in Luke chapter 12. You don't just have a father in heaven, you have a good father, a crazy, generous father in heaven. Verse 28 shows us just how crazy generous this father in heaven is. When Jesus says, don't you think that he will clothe you, oh, faithless ones? Think about that. Your father in heaven loves you so much That he will care for you, provide you for you. He will clothe you even though you are faithless in regard to him. Let that sink in. You don't have to prove that you appreciate his providence. You don't have to prove that you understand that you need his providence. You don't have to prove that you're somehow in any way, shape, or form aware of your need for his providence or that you're worthy of it at all. He just gives it, even to faithless people. Even though you you struggle to live as if he exists and you fail to remember that he loves you and he's got your back and he's going to be good to you, he still will be faithful to you. God, God will show love to you, not because you love him, but because he loves you. God will be good to you, not because you're good enough, but because he is good. He clothes even the faithless. And that's a promise he gives to you. But then Jesus goes further. In verse 31, as if that wasn't enough, Jesus says it's the Father's good pleasure, it's this crazy, generous, ludicrously loving Father's good pleasure to not just care for you in the day-to-day, no, but it's his good pleasure to give you the entire kingdom. Oh, faithless one. Now, that's a that's a large and kind of difficult concept for us to wrap our minds around, but, but what Jesus is saying is, all the blessings of heaven, which are like impossible to enumerate, but all the blessings of heaven, the blessings that we will see and appreciate in full in the very end when Jesus returns and establishes God's kingdom in all of its fullness, we only get glimpses and glimmers of it now, but when he establishes it in full at the very end, all of the blessings and benefits of heaven are yours. They're all yours. So, so just to get a, get a sense of it, A place at the Father's eternal table is yours, O faithless one. His never ending approval, I know how hungry for approval you are. I'm hungry for approval too. But God the Father's never ending approval is yours. His presence, his, his fear crushing, joy inducing, peace producing presence is yours. And in the very end, that presence will be so overwhelming that that the book of Revelation says that that there won't even be need for the sun and the sky because the loving presence of God will light up everything brighter than you can imagine. All of that and more is yours. And he gives it not to the level-headed, not to the ones with the peace-filled perspective. Not to the ones walking around saying, I know I'm blessed. God's got my back. I can handle this. No, he gives this to the ones who walk around losing their mind as if they're orphans. He promises it to the faithless ones, to the ones who insist on racking their brain and wringing their hands, thinking that life's little things are all on their shoulders. And he says, to you, to you, God will give clothing. And to you, he will give the entire stinking kingdom Do not be worried. Now this is a big promise. And the question you should be asking is how can Jesus make this promise? Does he know how faithless I am? How faithless you are? How much we worry about little things? How often we obsess about little things and the big things until they've tied us into a knot and a whole lot of other things? How can Jesus say this? Well, Jesus can make this promise in Luke chapter 12 because he knew what he was going to do in the last three chapters of Luke. (laughs) For those of you who know the story of the death of Jesus, you know that Jesus uttered some things on the cross while he was was dying. Uh, Matthew's gospel captures it best when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, those words are significant for a number of reasons. But in the context of of Luke chapter 12, they they take on a a unique significance. Jesus, throughout his entire life, he referenced God as Father in relation to himself He talked about my father in heaven, my father in heaven, my father in heaven. And those who were connected to him, he shared that. He said, he's your father as well. He's your father as well. He's your father as well. When Jesus talked about the father in reference to himself and in reference to those who were connected to him, he always called God his father. And yet, and yet, when he's dying on the cross... He yells out, not, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? But now, all of a sudden, he uses the impersonal and distant name of God, just saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why is that? Why does he change his language now? Because in his death on the cross, Jesus was becoming the orphan. In his death on the cross, Jesus was becoming the one who was disconnected and and, and divorced from the Father with no relationship to him. Jesus was becoming the one who, who doubted all the promises, who, who lived as if the Father didn't exist. Jesus was becoming the one who didn't have the relationship and taking the punishment that that deserves. Jesus was being treated as the outsider so that justice could be done and we could be treated as the insiders. Jesus was being treated as the orphan with no relationship so that we could enjoy all that He is, the Son, the child of the Father, with the fullness of relationship in our hearts and at our dispense. Jesus was treated as an outsider so he could be treated as an insider. He was he was stripped of his clothing like a flower plucked of its petals by the one who planted it. And he was killed like a bird shot from the air by the falconer that set it free. So that you could be forever wrapped in the love and the mercy and the goodness of God. So that you could be secure in your relationship as a daughter, as a son. That's why Jesus can look at his anxious disciples and he can say, do not be anxious. you have a father in heaven who knows all of your needs and, and 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 he's he's God over all of the universe and he he provides for all of the universe and yet he is your father and he's good he's crazy good he's incredibly generous he will give you the entire farm though you struggle to even have an ounce of faith in him and how do i know this oh just wait and watch what i'm going to do for you i'll be treated as the outsider so that you you can be treated as i deserve as the child as the favored son as the one who belongs. That's how Jesus can make this promise. Now, I'd love to tell you that as this truth that you have a Father in heaven who is crazy generous, who promises to care for you today and who will give you the entire kingdom in the very end, that as that truth gets gets deeper in your heart and in your mind and, and becomes a part of your flesh and bones, that, that your anxieties on a daily basis will decrease and erase and you will live with nothing but peace. But that's not really the case. I do believe it gets easier. That slowly but surely over the course of time, holding tight to these truths, you, you gain uh, an ever increasing peace filled perspective about your Father in heaven, whose you are, and what you really have to worry about. I do believe it gets, it gets better, but this side of eternity, it, it, it won't be cured. And I think that's why Jesus, at the end of his teaching, he encourages his disciples to do whatever they can to anchor their hearts into this truth so that on the really tough days, they can hold tight to it. And, and you might be wondering, well, how does Jesus suggest we anchor our hearts into the truth that we have a Father in heaven who loves us and who cares for us? How do we anchor our hearts in this truth? And, and, and Jesus' words to us might seem surprising or a bit disarming to us, but they're Jesus' words, not mine. So here it goes. Jesus says that the antidote to anxiety is Generosity. Jesus says to his anxious disciples, he says, if you'd like to anchor your heart into this truth, you have a father in heaven who cares for you. Jesus's words are this, give your stuff away. And in particular, what Jesus is talking about in the moments where you have true clarity in those moments where the anxieties have, have ceased for a while and you are, you are walking in, in a substantial amount of peace knowing that God is above you and he cares for you and that you, you have all the things that really matter and that things will be okay for you in the, in the end, Jesus is encouraging us to then, in those moments when we have a sense of peace, to give away the things that we are tempted to hold tight to and hoard in our anxious moments. And to watch as our hearts get anchored more deeply into the truth that God is our Father and He is good and we're going to be okay. And so what does Jesus say? He says, give away your things to the kingdom of heaven. When you have peace, when you realize that all is really actually well in your world, O child of God... When you realize that it's not all on your shoulders and it's not on you and you're not alone, you're not an orphan, but you have a father who cares for you and loves you and who is guaranteed a future for you. In those moments, give away the things you're tempted to hold tight to in anxiety. Give those things away to the kingdom. And what that means is give them away to the things that matter to the king. And what matters to the king? Well, those riches you tend to hold tight to when you're really anxious, what matters to the king is giving some of those riches who don't have quite as much as you. What matters to the king is the well-being of the poor. What matters to the king is justice in this world. Give some of what you have for those things. What matters to the king is the expansion of his kingdom and the increase of true and lasting peace in people's hearts. Give your treasures to the expansion of that kingdom. And Jesus says, watch, watch as your heart gets more deeply rooted in this truth that your father is good and he provides and you have all that you need. I dare you to try it. If you have a semblance of peace this morning, give away the things that you're tempted to hold to when you are anxious. Give them away and watch, watch what God does. I dare you to try it. Because as Jesus says, where your, king, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also would we like our hearts anchored in the truth that God is our father in heaven who's promised us the kingdom I dare you to be generous to the things that matter to the king and watch what he does so what does that mean for you You are not an orphan. You have a Father in heaven who loves you, who is good to you, who is crazy generous to you. You are not one of the boxcar children. You are a well dressed kid of the kingdom. So what should you do? You should anchor your heart into that truth. I don't know, maybe you find some, some anxious and frugal mom and you pay off her layaway and you put her heart at ease and you make sure her anxious little boy gets the shoes that he so desperately wants.